Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You guys good? Come on. Who's excited to be in church? Listen, I'm excited to be in church because we're kicking off a brand new series today. And I want to welcome you if this is your first time checking out Elevate Church. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here. I get to to serve here with an incredible staff and team and my wife as well. And I have four little boys. You'll see them running around here ages from 14 all the way down to three. So we drew that sucker out. Um, So just... I wouldn't recommend doing it that way, but man, we just love being a part of this church family with you guys. I want to say welcome as we kick off this new series, uh, which has become like an annual kind of series for us, because after all, February is the month of love, right? And so we're doing a series on relationships called His and Hers, talking about marriage, uh, dating, sex, all different aspects of relationships, and the problem is we get those things out of order. And when we get those things out of order, it does a lot of damage along the way. And we believe that God wants his best for our lives, for our dating lives, for our marriage lives as well, that we should have marriages and relationships that last a lifetime, to set ourselves up to to go the distance, that we would grow old together. So that really is the goal. Uh, How many of you, when that Face app came out, downloaded the Face app, which is the app that makes you look younger or older? Did anybody download that app? Okay, nobody. Well, there are two people in this room. Let me explain what it is. Uh, there's this app that if you download, you can put your photo in. It'll make you look younger or it will make you look older. And older is scary. All right, older will, will freak you out. Older is disturbing. So let me just show you what your pastor is going to look like 40 years from now. But don't put it up yet because here's a disclaimer. If you have a sensitive stomach, If you, um, you know, are a little bit scared of things, I'm telling you right now, look down. You don't have to look, all right? I don't want to put, you know, bad images into your mind, but don't say I didn't warn you. Here you go, pastor in 40 years, boom, right there. Yes, it is. I don't know if that's a mug shot. That's like a old man in the sea. I don't know what that is. That's like... That guy right there is going to grow the children's ministry at Elevate Church. It's going to be awesome. That's it. That's it. That's me. Um, actually, I have another one of me and my, my wife. Go ahead and throw that up there. I put both of us in there. Boom, right there it is. Look, I put both of our faces in the app, and she just looks that way. She just, she's like a fine wine. She gets better with age. Come on, somebody. I'm scoring points with my wife today. That's actually creepy, like an old guy with this young girl. Uh, you can take that away. You're scaring the, the kids. Here we go. Um, you know what's funny is that we spend millions of dollars annually as a, a nation trying to look younger, uh, doing like Botox and cosmetics, oil of Olay, pearl cream, if anybody remembers pearl cream, you know, all this kind of stuff to make ourselves younger, look younger, and then when we had the opportunity to post our younger pictures, we didn't, we all went with the old pictures. Why? Because we already know what we look like younger, and that ship has sailed, you know, that's gone, those days are over, but we want to know what the future holds. That's the reality, we want to know what it's going to look like, what's going to happen to ourselves. In fact, the number one question I get as a a pastor because the most frustrating thing about following Jesus is not knowing what the future holds. For a lot of us, we're like, what's the the will of God and what are the ways of God and how do I know I'm following his will? So people ask me all the time, how do I know? Well, we're gonna talk about that as it relates to relationships. How do we know that we are in the will of God and following the, the ways of God when it comes to our dating and marriage relationships? Here's what I know. Many of us in this room have made some kind of investment. Whether it's a a financial investment, you have a 401k, or you have a Roth IRA, or you're invested in some business somewhere, chances are you didn't make that investment blindly. Chances are you didn't just say, hey, that looks good, let's do that. Like if you're serious about it, you talk to a financial advisor, you talk to someone who knew something about it because you didn't want to make a foolish investment. It's something you took your time with and processed with and made sure you made the right decision. Or when you bought a home, like if you you own a home, you didn't just wake up one morning and think, I'm just going to buy a house. That one looks good. I'll take that one. No, you went through a process 
a lengthy process sometimes. In fact, the bank wouldn't even let you just buy a home like that. Like you had to get, get a, a seller's disclosure, you had to do an appraisal, you had to have a third party inspector come in and make sure everything in that home was working properly, the drains, the faucets, the electrical outlets, like every single thing, they went through that and only when they said yes or no were you able to buy that home. You took your time, you went through a process. I submit to us today that when it comes to the most important investment that any of us will ever make, which is our relationships, we don't take time. We don't go through a process. We don't rely on the the findings. What we do rely on is our feelings. And can I tell you that the most important earthly investment you can make is in your marriage, is in your relationships. And all too often we run into a marriage or rush into a, a marriage based on just the way that we feel. Like, why is that? Here's why, we think we know what's good for us. We think we know what's best for us. And if it feels good, if it feels right, then it must be right, right? If it feels good, uh, you know, if if when we're together, we're clicking, you know, if it feels good or or we have chemistry with one another, Colby. Listen, I took chemistry class, things blow up. It doesn't always work out. But if it feels good, it must be good. It must be, be right. We think we know what's best for us or based on, we have things in common. Well, Colby, we both, you know, we both love dogs. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations. Or, or we, we both hate cats, or, or we both have blue eyes, so it's meant to be. Or he has an uncle named John. I knew someone named John. And so we, we do it based on, you know, things that we have in common. And so we rush into these relationships based on our feelings. In fact, you'll go against the advice of parents, You'll go against the advice of best friends who know you well and will tell you about that person. You'll say, well, you don't know them like I know them. You don't know him. You don't know her like I know her. Yes, we do. The problem is you are blinded by infatuation. In fact, in the early stages of relationships, come on, somebody, we're all idiots, right? Let's just be honest. And it's not your fault. In fact, it's biology, It is because when you're in the early stage of relationships, you are all hopped up on, your body is tweaking on something called endorphins. And so it's making you not understand what is real and what is is not real in the early stages of that. And so you'll project onto that person feelings. You'll project onto them emotions. You get excited about things. You'll even project onto that person a personality that is not their personality because of these endorphins that are racing through your your body. But what happens is, once the infatuation stage is over, which it ends, by the way, it lasts about six to 12 months, once that's over and your endorphins start to chill out a little bit, you wake up one day and you're like, who is this person? Like, who are you? I don't even know you, Who, who are you? And the reality is you don't know them. You just knew what your endorphins were telling you about that person, that you thought that was Mr. Right, or you thought that was Mrs. Right. In fact, I have a friend who says the problem is we bought into this lie, that when we finally meet the right one, everything will be all right. Right, you've heard that. When I finally meet Mr. Right, when I finally meet Mrs. Right, then everything is going to be all right. In fact, when I finally meet them, everything's gonna be awesome. They're just gonna love me forever. They're gonna love me for me. We're never gonna get into an argument or a fight. All the married people are like, right, right? <laughs> like, that's what we think. And does anybody remember the first time they met the first right one? Generally happens around the age of 12 or 13 years old. You remember that one? When you met them in elementary school or middle school and you're like, oh, I just love him. Love him so much. I'm so committed to you. I love you. People don't know the way we feel for each other. If we could just be older, we would be together forever. Hey, where are they now? They're gone. I guess they weren't the right one, right? And so what happens in seventh grade, you met a new right one. Maybe again in 10th grade, you met another right one. And the problem with that mentality is that when we get married, after six or seven months or eight months and those endorphins wear off, we start again looking for a new right one again because that's what we've been practicing over and over and over. And can I tell you something? I've done this too long um, to know that there are couples in this room 
You could be sitting by your husband. You could be sitting by your wife and still looking for the right one. You could be watching this after the fact online and still be looking for the right one, even as husband and wife. Or you're sitting there in your mind thinking, well, maybe one day they'll just die. I know it's bad, but come on, married people. I'm, telling, I'm being honest today, all right? Why do you think it is when, when there's a murder, they always look to the spouse as the number one you know, suspect? It's because we bought into this lie that culture has told us that when we meet the right one, we will finally be all right. It's what culture has taught us about, about love, that it's this feeling from a very early age, by the way. Every Disney movie that you've ever watched Right? If Disney has taught us anything, it's how we love one another. That if the prince could just uh, get past the, the stepmom and the pesky stepsisters and find the right one, that the shoe fits, right, then, then they'll live happily ever after. If the, if the beast could just find the right one, the petals will stop falling, and then he'll turn into a man. If the mermaid could finally, you know, get out of the water and, and walk on, what do you call those things? Oh, yeah, feet, you know, those things. Then she'll live happily ever what? After. The problem with happily ever after is a fairy tale. It does not exist. But we bought into this lie that love is just this, this feeling. And here's what I want to give you today. Three things that are important to remember about love. What is love? In fact, I'm calling this message, what is love? What is love? If you Google that, you know what comes back? What is love? Baby, you don't hurt me. Seriously, I think that's what comes back. In fact, I did this earlier today. You can ask Siri. Hey, Siri. What is love? As I understand it, love refers to a deep, tender, ineffable feeling of affection and solicitude. Ineffable feeling. Siri says it's a feeling. In fact, culture will tell us that it's nothing more than a Feeling, love is a, a feeling. The first thing you have to understand is love is more than a feeling. It's not just a, a feeling. Right now, turn to your neighbor and tell them it's more than a feeling. In fact, you can sing it if you want to. You know the song I'm talking about. It's more than a feeling. In popular culture, love uh, is synonymous with our feelings, with our emotions. Think about the popular love songs, right? You've lost that that wasn't too bad, actually. <laughs> I've told every other service, this is why we don't have a choir, but actually, we might just think about. You've lost that love of feeling, right? It's a feeling. Or some John Bon Jovi, shot to the heart, and you're to blame, darling. Come on, that's good. <laughs> but it's not just a feeling. But in our culture, what we've said is it is a feeling, but let me prove it to you practically. How many of you have kids? And you would say you love your kids. A lot of people put their hands down. Like you love them most of the time. <laughs> I love my kids. I love my kids. Uh, like I said, I have four boys, uh, and I feel like uh, since I have a huge range of ages from 14 down to three, the three-year-old's been out of diapers now for about a year, maybe a little more than that. I don't know exactly, but can I tell you something? Never in the, the history of raising my boys, did I ever feel like changing a diaper? Never felt like doing it. Like I never had this urge that I was like, I can't wait to change a diaper. And I've been changing diapers for like a third of my, my life now. So why do I change diapers? Because I know love is not just a feeling, it's a choice. It's a decision. It's a choice that I'm gonna take care of of their mess until one day they are old enough and mature enough to be able to take care of their mess on their own. I'm choosing to do that. In fact, I'm so committed to my boys that even if they never get it together, I choose to, with the help of their mom, to take care of their mess for the rest of their life, right? Like, because I understand it's not a feeling, it is a choice because I love them. Here's the challenge. We want someone and to be in a relationship with that is mess-free because we think we're mess-free, right? Come on, we don't think we have issues. In fact, that's your issue if you don't think you have issues. We have issues. But because we're, we're mess-free, we want somebody to be mess-free. So what happens is our commitment to that person runs only as deep as our feelings do in that moment. 
So what happens when things fall apart? And we don't feel love anymore. Love cannot just be a feeling. In fact, here's what Jesus said about it. It is a command. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor. That's easy to do. I can love my neighbor. I can love the people that love me back. You know, the people that, that, that I, I like, that I can get affection from and I can give to. I can, I can do that and hate your enemy. But he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? Like, love your enemies, love the people that hate me. Why would I do that? Because it shows you what love is. It's not a feeling at all. It is an action. It is a response. It's a choice. Jesus would have been a terrible marriage counselor. Because if a couple would come to him and say, you know what, Jesus, we just, we just lost that loving feeling. We just fell out of love. We just don't feel the love anymore for one another. Jesus would say, oh, Here's your problem. You thought love was a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. It's something that you decide that you're going to do. It is a choice that you make. You love first, and then the feelings follow after that. And the reason that you fell out of love is because you stopped applying love in the relationship. Are you with me? That's the reason you stopped loving one another. So it has to be more than just a, a feeling. It's this action, this act of love. And as we move in love, that motion creates emotion. It creates a, a feeling, but it is more than a feeling. Let me give you some examples how to act in love because I think this will help, excuse me, the married people in the room uh, tremendously. I think this will help set up the, the single people in the room that, that want to get married one day for a successful marriage. Um, but I'm gonna give you some, some, uh, a few his and hers things, things that she wants to tell you as a guy that your wife might want to tell you that she hasn't told you or, or maybe she has. I'm going to give you some things that she would love to tell you and then also some things that he wants to tell you as his, his wife. And just so you know, I'm not coming from a place of I have this figured out because I don't. Like this is hard. This, is, uh, this, this takes work. This is hard to do 24-7, 365, right? Relationships, marriages are hard. So let's start with the hers. Uh, this is going to help the guys out a lot today. Here's how we are to actively love our wife. What she wants to say to you guys, number one, you should write this down. She desires open, honest, and consistent communication. In other words, put down the phone, turn off the TV, uh, cancel Sports Center, like get rid of it, sit down, look her in the eye, and have a conversation with her. That's what she desires. Open, honest, consistent communication. It's been said communication is to your marriage what breathing is to your lungs. Really, Colby? Is it that big of a deal? Actually, yes, it is. They did a survey of thousands of women on the importance of communication in a marriage, in a relationship, and here's what came back. Most women have a need for communication in marriage that is every bit as strong as a, uh, the man, typical man's need for sexual intimacy. Like for some of you, a light just came on. Because you're like, really? It's that important? It's that strong? Yes. Like it's that important. She desperately wants consistent, honest, open communication with you. Here's the second thing that she'd like to tell you. She wants to feel protected. Protected how? Protected emotionally, protected physically, uh, protected financially, protected spiritually. She wants you to be the, the protector. In other words, be the one that, that helps to wipe her tears, not the one that causes the tears. Be the one that's there for, that will guard her heart emotionally, speaking, that pr protects her that way. Listen, there should never be a time where your wife is wondering where you are or what you are doing or if you're having a secret conversation or something is going on online or on your phone or on your computer because she should have access to every password. It's the way that you guard her heart. It's the way that you protect her emotionally. So she's not wondering what's going on. She should feel secure in that. She should feel secure financially like you have it all together. Not that you're loaded and that you're rolling in cash, but that you're not gonna roll up at home one day with a new $40,000 truck and say, hey baby, look at my new truck, right? No, that you talk about those things, that you work through those things together, that she feels protected that way. She wants to feel 
protected. Nehemiah 4.14 says this, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and then fight for your brothers, fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Be a man who is a fighter that fights to protect, protect your, your family, protect your wife. Be the guy that says, you know what? You're never getting rid of me. Like I'm here, I'm with you heart and soul. I tell Kristen, if you ever leave me, I'm coming with you. Let's go, we'll go together. But that's how it's going to be. She wants to feel protected. Here's the third thing she wants to tell you. She needs your time. And there's a difference between quality and quantity, but she needs both, actually. She needs your time. What does that look like? Here's a practical way, at least for me and Kristen, is that I will always do my best to answer the phone whenever she calls. It seems like a little thing. But what it does, it tells her that she is the priority relationship. So even if I'm at work, even if I'm in the office, I'm in a meeting, like our, our staff knows that when she calls, I'm like, hey, it's Kristen, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this. If I'm in a meeting, I'll say, hey, excuse me for a second. And then I'll just ask her, hey, I'm in a meeting. Is this important? She'll say yes or, or no. It's not. You can call me back. But it demonstrates to her that she has priority over your time. She's got dibs, right, on your, your time. And sometimes we can... We can think that there's this difference uh, between quality and quantity time or that there's no difference, and there is. Uh, a little while ago, Kristen and I were not communicating well. There was this communication gap with each other. I know that's shocking to you that, you know, the pastor's family is not perfect. We're not. You know, we, we have to work on this hard. Um, but I was thinking about her love language in that season. I don't know if you've read the book, the five love languages. I would encourage you, if you haven't, that you should, or at least give the cliff notes to it, because it will help you understand how she gives and receives love and how you give and receive love. And so I was thinking about Kristen's love language, how she receives love, and her love language is acts of service, which is the worst. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like, I hate it, because, and here's why, here's why. I could, I could, I could pay 10 people to go outside and clean our yard and to mow and rake and do all that kind of stuff and, and she wouldn't get excited about that at all. She'd be like, oh, the yard's clean. But if I go out there and I sweat and I, you know, get dirty and all that and I'm the one actually doing the work and serving her, you know what, she's, she's like, oh, you're a sexy beast, right? Like it, I don't know why. I don't know why, but that's how she's wired. That's how she's, she's built that we are to, I'm to serve her. I'm just to give that time to, to serve her. Remember when you were pursuing her, guys, in the first place? Remember how you would always be available? How you would just drop everything and, and do whatever it takes uh, to, to respond to her? You have to do that stuff again. Like whatever you did to, to get her, you have to do to keep her. Are you with me? Ladies, is this helping you? I hope. That you have to continue to serve her her that way. She needs your, your time. All right, here we go. Now let's, let's flip it around. Ladies, it's your turn. This is for the ladies, for the wives, for the future wives, uh, for the sister wives. I'm not judging, whatever. Just kidding. All right, different religion. Um, <laughs> here's a few things. Stop it. Here's a few things you need to know about your husband. He desperately needs your respect. Respect. He wants to know that you honor him, that you believe in him, that you value him, that he has your respect. I don't care. The most confident man in this room secretly, desperately desires his wife's respect, just to respect him. In fact, this is what Ephesians tells us. Uh, it says, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, because that's, that's the way you communicate love to him. But you don't know my, my husband, Colby. He's not respectable. Here's what I would say. You honor him, and you tell him the man that he is and the man that God wants him to be, and he will rise to that expectation. You honor him that way. You speak life over him, and he'll rise to the occasion. But you can't give him that expectation with anger, and frustration, you can't say things like, well, I wish you were this, or I wish you were, were that, or whatever it is. Can I tell you something? That does not work. In fact, let me say it this way. Most men respond way better to honor than we do to anger. 
Like you honor them and you value them and you respect them and watch them rise to that level that you want them to be. Like if I, let me just say this. If I, if I come home after I feel like I've been killing it at work, you know, we had maybe a great day, maybe a great weekend at church, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, if I come home and I've forgotten something that my wife asked me to do, if I didn't take out the trash or I didn't, you know, uh, grab milk on the way home or whatever it was. And if I get home and the first thing I hear is, you know what, I wish that you would care as much about your family as you do for your job. Or I wish you would treat us and care for us and love us the way that you love God and the church. You know where I want to be if that's the case? Anywhere but there. In that moment, just being real. I want to be gone. I want to remove myself from that situation. But if I come home, ladies, if I come home and the first thing she says to me, this is called the hero's response, by the way. Uh, you should try this this weekend. Even if your man is in the room today and he knows it's coming, we're dumb. We don't care. We'll still respond. <laughs> we are. But if when he walks in the door, you say, mm. Mm, mm, mm. You are one big stud muffin of a man. I just want to thank you for the way you take care of our family. You are my hero. You know how he's going to respond? You know what I would do in that moment? I'd go out to the garage. I'd grab a rake. I would get a hammer. What do you want me to fix? I will break something just to fix something. Because I want to be that hero. I promise you, try it out. See if it doesn't change his countenance. See if he doesn't hold his head up high. Like the first thing that he does when he walks home shouldn't be what you didn't do. Should be, hey, you're my hero. And check what, what like laugh at his jokes. You used to. You used to think they were, or you pretended to used to think they were funny, right? Tell him he's awesome. Tell him in front of his kids. I can't tell you something. When my wife says I'm awesome in front of my kids, I feel like I'm 10 feet tall. I don't care who else is around, but if she says it in front of my kids, I feel like I'm 10 feet tall. Now, the pushback is that I've heard some, some ladies will go, yeah, but I don't want to give him a big head. I, I, I don't want him to get, you know, prideful. I want him to stay humble. Can I tell you something? It is not your job to make him humble. It's God's job to make him humble. He's not going to get a big head. Your husband has a hungry heart. He just wants to know that you are, he is your standard of strength, that he is your hero, that you value him and respect him. Are you with me? This will help you out. Here's, a, here's another one that he wants to tell you. Numero dos. He wants you to initiate sex. What? <laughs> That's what somebody responded last night. Some girl, what? Um, listen, I'm, I'm going to keep this very PG. So if you have little ones in here, keep them in here. Seriously, keep them in here unless they're elementary school, and they should be in Elevate Kids. But they're hearing this in, in the middle school. They're hearing this, obviously, in high school. They're hearing this even in elementary school. And I think if we don't get God's view of sexuality back in the word, it's going to stay in the world. And it's high time for us to get it back into the word of God. It's high time for us to reclaim and restore what God's word says about sexual identity and not let things like the Super Bowl define it for us. Yeah, I did say that. And can I tell you ladies something? Your husband thinks about it a lot. Just being honest, a lot. It's not the once every seven seconds kind of myth that you've heard before, but studies show that a man thinks about it at least 19 times a day. And some studies actually show that he has a sexual thought of some sort at least once every minute. You should see some of your faces right now. The guys are like. The lady's like. Why do you think God's word tells us that we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? Why do you think his word tells us that we are to flee from sexual immorality, that Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another woman? Because we think about it a lot. And so we're to take those thoughts captive. So let me just say this to you. Give him something to think about. Like you be his, his standard of beauty. Like you, you give him the affection. You be the object of his affection. Listen, I've talked to couples in my office that had to work really hard 
to have a, an affair. They had to hide things. They had to be secretive. They had to go online and, and, and keep things quiet and to work out the finances and to, and to hide it all. They had to work really hard at having an affair. What if you worked that hard to maintain a marriage? What if you worked that hard? And what, what if you one day just put a hotel room key in an envelope and send it to your husband with a note that said, meet me here tonight? Come on, I'm preaching good right now, guys. The offering should be way up this weekend. Just kidding. But seriously, what if we worked that hard on maintaining? And before you, you sit back and say, I can't believe you're talking about this. Can I tell you something? I am squarely in the word of God. God's word says that we are to be sexually intimate with one another, with our, with our wives and with our husbands often, often. In fact, let me give you a Bible verse. Some of you guys in this room have never taken a note before, and you're like, honey, write this down. <laughs> Listen to the man of God. He is preaching right now. 1 Corinthians 7, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over to her body, to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive one another of sexual relationships. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Hey, it's right there. This is how we protect our marriages. This is how we affair-proof our, our marriages. In case you're like, I wish you, you wouldn't talk about this, can I tell you something? This was God's idea. We've perverted it. This was God's idea. He created it. He designed it. He worked it out this way. He said it was good. One of the first jobs he gave husband and wife was to be fruitful and multiply. So for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will come together as one flesh. Read the Song of Solomon, right? It's all throughout there. So this was, was God's idea. How long are we going to allow the world to hijack God's idea of sexual morality? Like, how long are we going to do that? When are we going to take a stand and get it back in what God's word says about it? If the church is silent on this subject, I promise you the world will fill that silence. And they will occupy it and give us different ideas about it. So ladies, let me help you out. And I understand that it can't always be a yes, like all the time, every time. And I get that because we're idiots sometimes and I, I whatever. <laughs> we are. We are. But if it has to be a no, let it be a no with a caveat. Let it be a no, like no, not tonight, but tomorrow. And guys, respect that. Don't be like, you know, at 12.01 a.m., hey, honey, it's tomorrow. <laughs> like, don't do that, all right? One more for, one more, sorry. One more, the guys. This will be a quick one. He wants to tell the ladies he wants to feel appreciated. Uh, this is a little bit different than respect. We have Shanti Feldhahn here, uh, who's a social researcher, about a year ago now or so, and she said this, that most men would rather hear the phrase, thank you, than I love you. Do you know that? We'd rather hear, thank you. Like, we respond to, I love you. You know, that's, that's great when my wife says, I love you, but when she says, thank you, it does something. It's a game changer. When they say, thank you for, for the way you help out. Thank you for, for getting home and making every effort to be home and, and play with the kids. And, and thank you for the way you take care of us. And thank you. Like, when that happens, guys, am I telling the truth? Like, it, it changes things. I promise you. Um, nobody taught me this. That I, I thought love was just a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Number two, what love is. Write this down. It's a commitment. Everybody say commitment. The problem is we've lost the value of commitment in a commitmentless kind of culture, a commitmentless society. We don't even know what commitment is. We have people standing at the altar saying I do that don't know how to do I do. We don't have a clue. We've never done that before. And the problem is culture tells us that we are to hook up, break up, hook up, break up, repeat, hook up, break up, repeat. Try them out, you know, give it a shot. See if it works out. If it doesn't work out, kick them out. That's what we have learned. And so what we have done for years is we've been, we've been um, we'll go to a rehearsal for a wedding, but we've been rehearsing divorce. In reality, just breaking up, breaking up, breaking up, starting over, looking for a new right one. We'll spend six months planning a wedding, but we have spent a lifetime uh, building habits and patterns that will create a, uh, and destroy a marriage 
in our lives. So we have to re, rethink what commitment looks like. I'm going to talk more about that uh, next week. We just have to change our view of commitment. Here's the last one I want to give you. Prop, uh, contrary to popular opinion and to what you would find on the internet, love is not blind. Is not blind. Yes, it is. It is, PC. If, if it wasn't blind, then I wouldn't have married this clown that I'm with. You know, love, love's all, no, infatuation is blind. Remember, there's that, that period of infatuation, but love is not blind. Here's why. Because you and I believe we know the difference between good and evil. In other words, we think we know what's best. Again, if it feels right, if it looks right, like I know what's best for me. Like if I was to ask you right now, do you know the difference between good and evil? You would say yes. But I would challenge you on that. Because the wisest man who ever walked the earth, uh, King Solomon, next to Jesus, the wisest man who ever walked the earth, had to ask God, prayed to God to give him discernment between good and evil. Why would he do that? Because he knew apart from God, working in and through him, he, he couldn't do it. And you and I have to get to that place where we understand apart from God, we don't know what's good for us. Like we don't know the difference because some of us, what we think is good is not God. And if it's not God, can I tell you something? It's not good. That ultimately God has better for you. We have to understand the difference between good and evil. And in order to do that, we need God to help us. Eve thought she knew in the garden. She thought she knew the difference. In fact, when she was tempted, uh, Satan used the oldest trick in the book and, and he tempted her. Adam and Eve standing at the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. Satan tempts them with all these kinds of, of lies mixed in with a little bit of truth because that's what he does. But here's what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, don't miss this, pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, those are the things that we would say make something good. Hey, if, it's, if it looks good, if it feels good, you know, if it satisfies me, then it must be good. This must be good. That's the, the lie she bought into. She didn't understand that there was a, a difference, that she didn't really understand what was good and what wasn't good and desirable for wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So Adam was right there too. He had a part to play. See, Adam was strong, but he was silent. Some of you guys in this room, listen, you're strong, but you are silent on things that matter sometimes. And we gotta stop that. We gotta take a stand. But it's because we don't know the difference apart from God was good and evil. So she took some fruit. She took the bait. Here's what James 1.16 says. Here's the reality of it. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every, somebody say every. Every, every good thing. So every good thing that we have, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from God. So what are you saying? If it's not from God, it's not good. No matter what you think, no matter what the world says about sexuality, identity, about all those things, no matter how you feel in the moment, if it's not from God, it's not good. And the reality is, uh, the first thing that God asks us to do when we become followers of Jesus is to take up our cross, is to deny ourselves. What does that mean? To deny those things that we thought were good, that we thought we needed, that we thought we deserved, those things that I believed was, was good for me, to deny those things so I could follow him. That as I, I follow the will and the ways of God, he begins to change me from the inside out and I can better understand what is good and what is not good. But apart from him, I can't do it. Here's the problem. How many of you know that when you are um, hungry and thirsty, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll eat about anything? Or, or when you're hungry and thirsty, the enemy will, will attack you in those moments. He'll, he'll tempt you in those moments. That's what he did with Eve. Uh, when you're, and can I tell you, hunger and thirst is dangerous in a relationship. Did you know that? Because when you're hungry... Like, and you're desperate for something, you will lower your standards in order to get it. You will. When I'm hungry, like if I'm really, like really physically hungry, I'll do some things. Um, I'm not proud to, to say this, but when I'm really hungry, like I'll go to a gas station and I'll eat one of those things off of those hot roller things. 
Some of you are like, that's disgusting. I know. I don't even know what I'm eating. But if I'm really hungry, I will. It's just sitting there, and it's just rolling. If I'm, if I'm thirsty, because hunger, right, causes me to lower standards. If, if I'm thirsty for something, I will drink a Diet Pepsi. Like, I'll lower myself that far, right? If I'm really thirsty. Why? Because hunger and thirst cause us to lower our standards. That's why, by the way, you never go to the grocery store on an empty stomach. You're just going to get all kinds of stuff that you don't need. Here's what I want you to know. When you're hungry, you'll bite on anything. When you're thirsty, you'll go for anything. Some of you are probably wondering why I have this tackle box up here. Um, I like to fish. I'm more of a saltwater kind of fisherman. I'm, I'm learning to get uh, into the, the freshwater fishing. I love to go, you know, I'm going to try out the whole steelhead fishing thing uh, one of these days, eventually. But I've learned that fishing is about a billion-dollar industry. Did you know that? Like, you can spend all kinds of money on gear, on tackle, on rods, on reels, on equipment, all that kind of stuff, on, on lures. And the whole idea of a lure is to trick the fish into thinking that it's something that it's not. That's what a lure is. It's bait. It's, it's not real. And that's what the enemy does for us all the time. He's casting bait out there, trying to trick you, trying to pull you away from God's best for your life. And in your relationships, he's doing the same thing. And if he can pull you away, if he can get you hooked on something that's not God's best for your life, you'll wake up one day going, what happened? Why am I so broken? Why is this not, not working? Which, by the way, if you're in a marriage and you woke up and you think, man, this is broken, can I tell you something? If you will put that marriage back in the hands of God, he will restore it. He can heal that. He can redeem that for his purposes and plan. I promise you if you'll trust him with that. Or I'm trying to protect the single people in the room from, from ever having to get hooked and taking the bait that the enemy is tossing out there. But he's constantly tossing bait out there. Whether you are married or not, he wants to hook you and take you away from God's best for your life. Um, he's throwing out different kinds of, of lures, by the way. He's throwing out, uh, this is called spinnerbait. I don't even know what this thing's supposed to look like. But it's flashy, right? It's, it's exciting. Um, he, he tosses this out, and he reels it back in quickly. It makes a, a splash, and it's like, oh, in the moment, what is that? And you get excited about it. Some of you have been caught on spinnerbait. That it's just this quick relationship it's like, oh, we went from zero to 100 just like that. It was so fast. You don't know. It's exciting. It's fun. It's new. And the enemy will toss this out there hoping to attract you and tempt you and pull you further and further away, get you hooked from God's best for your life. Some of you got caught on spinnerbait. Some of you uh, got caught on crankbait. This is crankbait. And it has a spoon on the front. And what crankbait does is as you pull it, right, it, it causes it to dive deeper. And you got caught on, on crankbait. This is the, oh, you know what? Well, he, he's just so deep. I've never met anyone that deep before. He just gets me. Or, or they'll say, she just gets me. And what happens is you got caught, and they're pulling you further and further and deeper and deeper away from God's best for your life. Some of you got caught on crankbait, and the enemy wants to cast all kinds of, of bait out there. Some of you got caught on this thing right here. This is called a whopper plopper. That's the real name. Like, this doesn't even belong in the water. I don't even know what this is, right? This is that thing that, that you throw out there, and it makes a big splash, and it's like, what is that? What is that, that doing there? It's just kind of this weird, mysterious thing that, that the fish just goes for. for. For those of you that got caught on the whopper plopper, this was, this was, oh, he's just so mysterious. Tall, dark, he's handsome. This was, oh, this is the exchange student from Italy that's staying with you. You know, Giovanni is just so mysterious. Some of you got whopper ploppered. Because this is the thing that it doesn't belong there. And if I don't get it now, it's going to be gone. And so some of you were tempted that way. And you're like, I just got I to go get it. I, gotta, I just got to get it before it's, before it's gone. You got caught on that. Or, or some of us, and this one is uh, recognizable, right? This is, the, this is a frog. It's supposed to look like a frog. And when it's in the water, it looks like a frog. It acts like a frog. You know, just it, it's what it, what it looks like. And some of you go after the frog. 
The frog is what tempts you because you think that if I kiss the frog, he'll turn into something different. And for some of you, this is, you're always going after the, the project, the broken person. The, you're always constantly getting into relationships that, this is what you say, well, God has called me to them. God's called me to rescue them. I'm here to save them. That's, that's my, my job. You're going after the frog. Can I tell you something? You can't out-Jesus Jesus. God is not calling you to them. He's calling them to him. He's not using you to do that. But some of us, we go after, after the frog. And can I tell you something? Like, if you got to get to a standard where you say, if he's not on fire for God, he's not going to be on fire for me. I'm not going to have that in my life because what happens is you go after the frog, and guess what? Frog's got hooks too. Frog's got hooks too. And so while you think you are rescuing them and saving you, they've just hooked you and they pulled your frog-loving butt down further and further away. I'm serious. And some of you know it. You're constantly going after the project, after the frog. You got to get to that point where you'd say, you know what? If I'm going to keep my standard here. And if he's not following after God, then I'm not going to go for that. But I think this could be the most damaging one of all. That's the, that's the big bait fish. And this one's going for the, the big fish. This is going for the fish that has been married for 20, 30, 40 years. This is the fish that says, you know what? We've, I've gotten past all that other stuff. Haven't made a big mistake. That we're, we're good. You know, we're comfortable. But can I tell you something? The enemy is still trying to get you to. In fact, I might even argue that he wants you more. Because if he can destroy a, a marriage that has been 20, 30, 40 years, then he knows what damage that can do to generations and generations after that. And so we have to fill ourselves with something else. We can't be hungry and thirsty for the things that the enemy would want to toss out and keep in front of us. So, so what are we to do? Here's what the Bible says. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with something else. Be filled with the Spirit. Now this verse is not, not preaching against, you know, drinking, but the principle is you have to be filled with something else. Because if you're not filled with, with something else, you're going to fall for anything. He says be filled with the, the Spirit of God because apart from God, we don't know. Apart from God, we make bad decisions. I tell people all the time, listen, it does not work unless Jesus is at the center of it. Doesn't work. It won't last apart from him. It doesn't work. Why do you think that Jesus, with the woman at the well, said, you know what? I know you're, you're in and out of relationship after relationship, hopping, hopping from one guy to the next. You know, this is your, your fifth one, and, and he's not your husband either. He says, but I have something else for you. I have something that will fill you. I'll give you what does he say? Living water. So you'll never thirst again. Listen, until we find that and discover that, that living water, we're thirsty. We're susceptible to anything that the enemy wants to throw out there. And even then, it has to be a constant, daily kind of thought to protect ourselves, our marriages, our relationships, our future marriages as well. Let's do this. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes. With every head bowed, every eye closed, here's what I believe God wants to do over the next couple weeks is to restore some brokenness, but it's also to get us to protect ourselves, especially some of us big fish that we've been swimming for a while and haven't gotten caught. But God wants to keep us in a relationship that honors him, that glorifies him, that lasts a lifetime that makes it the distance where we grow old together. Then he wants to teach us how we, we protect our wives, how we communicate better with them. He wants to teach our, our wives how to love and respect our husbands and what that means so we can have a flourishing relationship together. But it doesn't happen unless we get filled with something else. So God, I pray right now that you would fill our hearts 
that the only thing that we would hunger and thirst for is for more of you, more of your word, more of your truth, more of your spirit, God, that would lead us and would strengthen the relationships that we have. And no matter if we've gotten pulled away by what wasn't your best, we know that you are one decision away from surrendering our life and following after your will. With every head bowed, every eye closed, there are some of you today that you've never crossed that line of faith and allowed Jesus to fill you, to make you new, to restore you. In fact, you're still carrying around the baggage and the damage from past broken relationships. But I tell you this today, that God wants to heal you and make you whole. That as we cast our cares on him, that he restores us if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. That means you don't have to carry that junk around with you anymore, that you can have a fresh start, that you can have a clean heart, that you can walk out of here with your head held high. Not that you're gonna not have any more problems, but you're gonna have the answer to those problems. If you allow Jesus to pay for your sins once and for all, and God sent him to die on the cross so that none of us would have to die in our sin. And the way we, we allow him to do that is through prayer. That I want to lead you in. It's, it's nothing magical about the prayer. Um, the most important thing is that you believe it in your heart. The Bible says as we believe, believe in our heart that that's really what Jesus did, that he took on our sin when he died on the cross and that he conquered that sin when he defeated the grave. And that as he rose to life, we could have new life in him and eternal life at that when we end our lives on this earth. If we believe that, then we will be saved. If we confess Jesus is Lord. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that, I'm praying right along with you today. This is why I'm here. Would you lift your hand? No one's looking around. Just lift your hand. I want to see who I'm praying with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. Praise God for you. You can put your hands down. Say something like this. Jesus, today, I give you my life. Forgive me for going after things that were not your best for me. Forgive me for my sin. I repent and I turn towards you. Make me new. Make me new. I confess you as Lord and I confess you as Savior. And from this moment on, I'm going to follow you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.